<laughs> All right, welcome to Kitchen Sink, and uh, I'm Thomas Kilroy, and after a little hiatus, we are back in the room with episode, what, 15? 15 now. Can you believe it's been, uh, well, three and a half years, October 2015, so 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, oh my goodness, three and a half years since the last episode was recorded. But you know, I've been thinking about this for a long, long time, and I said, I've got to just stick the recorder on and, and have a go at it. And I guess uh, for me, you know, recording podcasts has been something I've been interested in for quite some time, as you can imagine. And I think over the last three or four years, they've really, really taken off as a medium. And I think more and more... Um, people more and more companies are recognizing the power of of you know the voice as opposed to the written word in getting their message across so um and and one very notable uh, certainly in my mind uh, within hospitality one notable company that has done that has been premier food service who launched a podcast there a few weeks ago and i have to say they are producing some really really good content um they've done three episodes now that have been released um three that i'm aware of um and i know that i was part of a recording of another one but that's there's some more research to to do with that and that's to do with experiential dining um which was really really an awesome an awesome uh, day down at um the o2 um in canary wharf and then i know that i've just seen on twitter that they are doing another recording very soon where i think they're going to be looking behind the scenes at premier food service um and these are you know really really interesting episodes where you get some insight from various people that you wouldn't normally hear from so um podcasts in general i i I think they're fantastic i i really enjoy them and i don't know if you as well you do as well you know if you're listening to this podcast then you know i have to assume that you do but on the other hand maybe you're just dipping your toe in it for the first time and you know you just want to have a little listen to this you might say yeah it's okay and you might switch off after a while but what i would ask you to do is maybe have a listen to two or three different types of podcasts and you might find a genre or a type of podcast that you really enjoy one particular one that jumps to mind right now and again it's being released um, on a week by week basis has been created by the bbc and it's absolutely fantastic it's called 13 minutes to the moon and i have to say it's it's nothing short of epic and I'm saying that because obviously it's very similar to the style of production they would do for Horizon documentary. And what it refers to in those 13 minutes to the moon is the last 13 minutes um, as they came in to land on the moon, which was the most crucial and difficult and challenging, technically challenging part of the whole uh, endeavor to land man on the moon. And while you might think okay 13 minutes that's the what's there to tell actually there is a whole decade of innovation problem solving real life human stories leading up to that and uh, they've gone back and interviewed people you know who are in their 70s and their 80s and their 90s today who were sat there at the age of 22 23 24 years of age um and doing something that had just absolutely never been done before and it it is quite incredible when we landed on the moon the average age of the people that were working in the control center and supporting the flights our average age was about 27 27 and they stepped right up to it 
This podcast in 12 episodes is the story of how they stepped up and ensured that the final 13 minutes of Apollo 11's journey to the moon were a success. We'll learn all about the events during the 13-minute descent, but also what happened through the course of a single decade to deliver that momentous touchdown. The tireless work of the men and women, scientists, engineers, programmers and astronauts in the Apollo moon program. Their bravery and dedication, the failures and the frustrations, the extraordinary feats of engineering and technology which came together to achieve that historic moment on July the 20th, 1969. I'm Kevin Fong and from the BBC World Service, this is 13 Minutes to the Moon. Thirteen minutes to the moon. I'll put a, a link in the show notes, and I and I urge you to to listen to that. Another uh, really interesting podcast that is well, it actually came out a year ago, but it's only just been recognised in the uh, British Podcast Awards just recently, and that's how it came to my attention. It's called Have You Heard George's Podcast, and it is eight episodes, each are about twenty minutes long, and it's a series that was put together by um, George the Poet along with another um, uh, producer who worked with him. Now, when I say a producer who worked with him, these two guys worked day and night for almost 12 months to put together these eight 20-minute episodes. And what makes it a unique prospect in terms of, especially from the point of view of the British Podcast Awards, and I only heard this because I I listened to an interview with one of the judges, and what they said was that... um, all of these uh, nominations, you know, these these nomination packs would arrive in from from podcasts that have basically throwing their hat into the ring for a various category, and uh, the one of the guys uh, got, got these awards, and he noticed that five or six of them had come from the same podcast, and he said to himself, "What a waste of uh, money that was!" Because normally, you know. If you think about it, one is factual, one category is factual, and another is um, fiction, and another would be, let's say, current affairs. So why would you want to submit an entry into fiction and submit one into factual um, when they both kind of compete with each other? So he felt that the, the, the whoever had submitted these applications really had wasted their time and should have concentrated on just one or two categories. Nevertheless, uh, the various judging panels got together and what they each judging panel for one for one category didn't realize they didn't know who would have mm, been nominated in the other categories. So obviously they they then look at those uh, podcasts and they make judgments on them and they might say, well, we think that this one has a chance of winning. So we'll we'll shortlist two or three when they eventually got together to compare notes between all the different judges and judging panels of the different categories. They suddenly realized that George, have you heard George's podcast by George the Poet, that his had kind of uh, been shortlisted as either you know, top or number two in factual, um, current affairs, fiction, music, and two or three others that I, I can't quite remember right now. So on the night, it actually won five different categories, including, um, as well as, I think, uh, best podcast of twenty. Uh, 18 so really really quite amazing so i had to listen to it and sure enough when i press play it really is something else you're just taken on this journey uh 
have a listen. Let me show you. Move back, move back. Each podcast episode is a world of thoughts flying around my brain. Thoughts that are scared of spiraling down the drain and dying without a name. Thoughts that are all competing for my attention. They want to stand out. They ain't trying to sound the same. Because if they sit in my head for too long, I move on. That's why sometimes I'm thinking bare things, but I don't really say nothing. You, you guys have unlimited access to these thoughts through a special entrance controlled by the play button. Hold on, let me just remember this. That's it. The play button is a teleportation device that allows you to enter another world while physically staying where you are, meaning you can go anywhere, anytime, without anyone noticing. When you push that play button, you jump into a different perspective. Maybe that perspective is right under your nose, but the way it was presented isn't effective. Or maybe it's a story that no one's ever told you. Remember popcorn from episode two? Right now you're hearing it from inside the microwave. It's heating up, it's popping off, kind of like a rave. Can you hear that corn popping, yeah? It's hot in there. You're going around in circles and it's not a lot of air. But from the popcorn's perspective, is it blossoming or blowing up? I'm going to put a, a link in the show notes and I would urge you, especially if you're into podcasts, have a listen to... Um, have you heard George's podcast? It really is worth a listen. Episode three is called A Grenfell Story. And I have to say it is super emotionally charged. Um, um, an amazing, amazing um, story that it tells. And uh, it's certainly, I found myself, I was out running actually. Um, and I found myself uh, tears running down my cheeks as I ran along the road. And uh, it, it's 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 a hugely powerful, powerful story that he tells in that episode i think you'll really appreciate the art and the craft and the craftsmanship that went into that it's it's something special so that's really podcasting you know uh i think it's something that more and more companies should try so uh, let me know if you have any thoughts around podcasting if it's something you're thinking of doing um you can share your thoughts uh you know in the comments section below this uh, podcast if you've seen it on the website or perhaps you can catch up with me uh over on twitter um kitchen sink news uh is is the address for for all things related to this podcast uh, and of course you can find me on linkedin where i'm quite open to uh direct messaging or perhaps an email via linkedin a, lo a lot of you are over there so let's see what's what's been in the news recently well i know there's a quite a few things one of the things that's on my mind and has been for a number of weeks now really is obviously the demise of jamie's italian now we Everyone listening to this will have an opinion, will have heard lots about it. Um, and, and I think that at the end of the day, there's not a lot I can say that can add value to that conversation. But what I have seen is two or three articles where it's gone a little bit more in depth into um, some of the problems that, that, uh, that happened behind it. So um, I will share the links in the show notes so you can have a look at that. But one of them, which was very interesting for me, was... Um, 
by mashed.com and i think it's one of the most uh, in-depth kind of articles about what happened um it really really does it's a lot it's a long read you know there's a lot to unpack there but one of the headlines or sub subheadings if you like said there's a reason finding the truth has been tough they were struggling with massive debts but finding out just what was going on with the celebrity chef's chain was difficult why because it came out that the hundreds of People who suddenly found themselves unemployed were instructed to sign non-disclosure agreements preventing them from discussing anything about the situation and that included making any comments about Oliver or his family so again uh, just the idea that NDAs non-disclosure agreements um, you know prevented the underlying problems of of this company coming to light uh, sooner and I, I just think it's very you know that's something that didn't come out in some of the other articles that I read in publications that would be more for a, a hospitality audience so uh, I again will put the the link to that in the show notes because um, again it mentions Brexit might be to blame already um, and another headline which I have to say I agree with there was nothing getting fans into the restaurant and I think I think um, I think that was a big problem that I found with it when I visited on the one or two occasions that I've popped in you know obviously Jamie Oliver massively successful presenter on television uh, lots and lots of products that he's you know fronts for example um, cookbooks coming out every year and what you didn't see was, well, what you did see was stagnation, stagnation of the menu, stagnation of the, the look and feel of the restaurants. And it just didn't keep up with what you saw um, in terms of the persona on TV, on YouTube, on, on whatever um, social media channel that you might follow them on. And I think that that was a problem. You know, you, you would expect to go along to his restaurant and find dishes on the menu that, were, you know, that you had seen in the cookbook that you got for Christmas but couldn't be bothered to cook. Um, and if you did try it and eat it, it'd make you want to go home and maybe make it from the cookbook yourself, knowing what it tastes like at the end. So it just didn't make sense to me that they weren't able to keep the restaurants in tune and aligned with what he was doing in terms of his publications and so on. Now, that said, I'm I'm absolutely not here to, to do, a, you know, any injustice to, to Jamie Oliver, the chef and the person himself. I think he has been a phenomenal force for good for, for the UK, for culinary standards in the UK and for education um, of, of the importance of food in our in our daily lives and in our culture so you know i absolutely wish him every success in the future i think that um perhaps there was a few people involved in this business running this business in the leadership positions who just didn't fully appreciate how precarious a position they put him in and put their employees in um and as a result the whole house of cards came down one thing that struck me and this this kind of winds me up slightly um just as i scroll through my twitter feed very often there'll be a little promoted tweet here and there from advertisers and one of them uh was um it looked like well it basically it was a review a, a critic's review of jamie's you know visit to jamie's italian a couple of years ago where she obviously slated the restaurant for for having not a very good experience but the point about it was this was an ad, an ad a promoted tweet by the times 
to get you to sign up a subs- to a subscription to the Times. And I felt it was very disingenuous and, and actually, you know, really, really poor taste to, to use an article that basically s- highlights the, 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 the problems that were in the restaurant um, and use that as, as a vehicle for being able to try and sell, you know, access and a subscription access to your to your newspaper so that was something that just stuck with me as as um very very poor taste you know obviously the article it, 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 no doubt is correct and the and there's nothing wrong with the the point of view of the critic i just think it's very disingenuous that uh, the times think it's okay to advertise and sell their try and sell more subscribers and clicks and and uh, readers to their newspaper based on um demise of this this restaurant and putting lots of people out of work uh, it's it's really very very poor form so let's see what else is happening well today is national fish and chip day and um being a friday no doubt um maybe one or two of you are thinking about it i have to say i've i've been since i found this out a couple of hours ago i have just been thinking about fish and chips all day so i think i'm gonna i'm gonna have some fish and chips later on um but i have to tell you fish and chips it, it's a funny thing isn't it uh, have you tried to make fish and chips at home? What a faff. I mean, apps, I, it's, I didn't realize. And when I used to own a pub, people used to come in and, and, and you know, you're standing in their kitchen and you have all these fabulous dishes on the menu that you worked hard to create. And then somebody would order fish and chips. And part of me used to, you know, my shoulders would slump slightly because I used to think, oh, fish and chips, of all the things you've chosen on the menu, you've gone for the thing that, you know, is quite a straightforward recipe. But having made it at home, oh my goodness, the amount of work that's involved. And okay, it's not difficult, you know, we all get it, making a bit of batter and, and, and okay, some people are better at it than others and, and, and what have you, and you can work at it and make it a nicer recipe. But nevertheless, making batter, pretty straightforward, get your fish, dip it in, you know. What I find is that the amount of smells that go around the house <laughs> to start with, so you've got to open windows to clear the smells, and then you're left with this kind of liter, two liters of cooking oil that you, you don't know what to do with. You know, you've got to strain it out and then you've got to kind of keep it in a container and then maybe use it in, in other dishes, or, you know, as you fry things. But we do so little frying in the house, especially with, with anything that resembles leftover oil that's had fish in it, that it just is absolutely more work than it's worth. So I suppose there is a lot to be said for going out and supporting your local fish and chip shop on a day like National Fish and Chip Day. And um, to hell with the calories. Once in a while, you gotta you got to enjoy yourself. So why not? Um, I know that um, we we don't have fish and chips very often, but but today's one of those days. I think we'll I think we'll have a go at it. <laughs> why not? <laughs> I'm recording this on uh, Friday the 7th of June and uh, literally about 24 hours ago at this time yesterday uh, they were reporting a fire, a very severe looking fire at Gymkhana restaurant in um, Mayfair. So thankfully everyone got out safely, nobody was hurt according to uh, reports that I have read. Um, and today it's being reported that they're going to have to close for some period of time while they while they obviously 
get things fixed up and, and ready for operations again. And I, I, I don't know, it's too early to say um, what the cause of that was. Apparently, from one of the reports I read, it was it was to do with a fire perhaps coming from the kitchen. And then um, it could have been made worse by um, it spreading up the the extraction ducts so let's see uh, but it just it's just a, a lesson for us all to be mindful of our responsibilities and make sure that we've just made those checks um, because that's it they're closed now for the next few weeks at a time when <laughs> nobody can afford to to close for any period of time so I, I, I wish them every success in trying to get reopen as soon as possible and uh, yeah, at the moment, there's there's a, a lot of closures um, and, and one or two high profile closures. I see that um, Jason Atherton is closing his uh, social wine and tapas, which has had phenomenal success over the last few years. And Hedon, is that correct? Hedon or Hedoni? Hedon over in uh, Chiswick uh, is closing after eight years. And while part of it could be put down to the, the economic uh, situation in the country, the uncertainty that's been created around this, uh, this Brexit question, uh, I think just reading between the lines, there was, there was a, you know, it was on the cards for quite some time. It was a project that was going to run for about three years and uh, eight years later, uh, still going. So at some point, I think, I think they just decided <clears throat> to call it, call it a day. And then in terms of food service, uh, there's a fantastic article in the uh, caterers today, Small But Mighty, the boutique caterers taking on the heavyweights. Um, and it's really about where, um, you know, Blue Apple, Artesian and, um, and the like can take on the, the big heavyweights. And in fact, that reminds me that... Um, there was a, a new entrant to the market uh, known as Houston and Hawks. Uh, Simon Houston, formerly sales director of, from uh, Barlow Mitchell, has teamed up with Dave Hawks, who was a managing director for the Central Region for Baxter Story. And I have to say that that story broke there uh, last week. And um, and as soon as I saw it, I have to say, I uh, you know, it, it, it just took me by surprise you know I, I i remember at the time tweeting didn't see that coming um and and why would i i mean <laughs> dave hawks dave hawks with a mustache i mean come on nobody saw that coming my goodness dave woo loving it so uh no, I wish the guys every success. I think I think they're going to be a formidable team. Simon Houston is a very talented uh, sales director, um, so I think I think he'll be working very hard on that pipeline. And Dave, again, very very seasoned veteran um, when it comes to the operations. And uh, I know from experience of Dave, and uh, I'm sure he won't mind me saying this. He's a master of the uh, the sandwich packet of crisps and a, and a and a drink for for two quid kind of offer but at the end of the day um as 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 petty and small as that might sound it is the bread and butter pardon the pun of any uh decent um uh food service offer where the margins are being analyzed with a fine tooth comb every single month uh, with the with the client so i know that dave will really really take care of the margins there and 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 be able to to, to squeeze that metaphorical blood out of a stone uh, to make sure that the clients are getting best value so i wish the guys every success and i think i think that that when i you know having Full disclosure, having worked for Baxter Story in the past um, and having worked within uh, the sales team when it was being headed up by Simon Esner, um, 
um, who is a very formidable character in the world of hospitality and certainly in the world of sales. Um, I know that, you know, their their biggest sort of worry wasn't trying to compete with, you know, the big boys like the Compass and Elior's and, and those. It was actually trying to trying to win out against the, the smaller guys like Blue Apple who were nibbling away and were able to go into the room and make a presentation to say, yeah, whatever they said, just ignore it because they're too big to care. Whereas with us, you'll have the, the founders on the line anytime so um they they definitely you know baxter story will definitely and companies like baxter story will have economies of scale and they will have all the resources to throw at things and 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 i know that that the service and the product they offer the service they offer is second to none and it's world class so there's no no question but equally um when you're dipping your toe into the world of food service as a client I think there is some um, notion of kind of an insurance policy of having the owner on speed dial um, should should anything go wrong. And I think that's something that they'll be leaning on. So very, very good to see. Um, always love to see that entrepreneurial spirit of, of guys uh, breaking free and, and setting up on their own. So I wish the guys every success. And I know I know that there's a, a lot of um, mutual respect across the industry for, for, for these guys and what they've what they're setting out to achieve. So uh, let me see what other news has there been. I have to say there's a really nice little article here which resonates personally with me and the headline says the boom of alcohol free is a sticking trend. So let me just bring this up because it was in the morning advertiser. Uh, the boom of alcohol free is a sticking trend now i have to say it's a really 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 good article lots and lots of um, little um, stats and few words there by laura willoughby co-founder of club soda who says drinking rates among british adults are at their lowest for 18 years and a quarter of 16 to 24 year olds drink no alcohol which which is you know in comparison to um 10 years ago 20 years ago 30 years ago you know back in the day when i was 18 it was it was a totally different world um at least one in five of us is trying to reduce their alcohol intake she says it's important to bear in mind that customers aren't necessarily going teetotal many are drinking simply drinking a bit less and i, and I think that's very true um, and then if i just scroll down a little bit further here the non-alcoholic sector continues to show big gains in both value and volume sales cga moving annual total data to uh, 23rd of February 2019, for instance, shows volumes of alcohol-free beer sales were up 28% with values up over 29%. So so basically volumes and sales were uh, revenues were up about uh, just short of 30%. The same can be seen in non-alcoholic spirits, a relatively new ca- category, which has seen volume and value sales for the same period rise by 407% and 418% sales respectively. So again, huge, huge increases in that in that area. And I have to say, me personally, and you know, I'm teetotal. I don't drink. I gave up about eight years ago. Best decision I ever made. And if you're thinking about it, here's my piece of advice. Just go a few days. Just a few days without the booze don't say i'm going to give up for a month don't say i'm going to give up forever never say forever what i would say is just say i'm just going to go without a drink for a few days and then what happens is you kind of go a few days and you say right i'm going to go a few more days that's what happened to me i just said a few more days and then a few more days led to a few weeks and a few more days led to a few months and before you know it i'm now into my 
eight or ninth year now without without alcohol so you know i didn't set out to do that in fact if anything i thought i'm going to go through a period of not drinking and then i'll i'll go back but since then i've actually just i just don't need it don't want it don't don't it's not something i miss but what i do miss when i go out and have a drink um when i'm out in in, whether it's having a meal or at a social event is that you know (laughs) If you've ever had a menu, a vegetarian option, put it on a menu by a chef who's not a vegetarian, then you'll know what I'm talking about. It's that the very often the choice that's offered is going to be a soft drink or a juice or literally a mineral water. There's going to be no thought put into the options for somebody who doesn't drink. And I have to say last, uh, that we see the fellows dinner it was at the Savoy uh, with the Institute of Hospitality. And I decided I would take two minutes of my day when it said, do you have any dietary requirements or special requests? And I just happened to mention that I was teetotal. And if there was anything they could do for me, I would really appreciate it. And on the night, I was offered um, non-alcoholic lager at the um, reception, the drinks reception, which was really good because the other options were, you know, literally elderflower cordial which is just full of sugar and then when i sat down i said oh by the way i'm teetotal and the gentleman the the waiter said oh absolutely he said i've got something for you and he went away and he came back and he poured me a glass of non-alcoholic white wine now there are people here who will who would spit that out they would not even let it pass their lips because that to them is the worst thing ever but what what i found was firstly it's been so long since i've drank wine I don't even remember what the taste is really like. But more importantly was I was having my glass of wine topped up and topped up and, you know, and I just felt part of the conversation and part of the social construct of sitting there in my black tie at the Savoy with my three-course meal and my wife and we're enjoying. And in fact, there was a fabulous photograph taken of the pair of us where I'm holding my wine glass as if it's, you know, I'm laughing and giggling and enjoying myself. And nobody would ever guess that there was no alcohol in that glass or that I wasn't drinking. Um, So for me personally, the idea that, and I have to say thank you again to the team at the Institute of Hospitality and the team at the the banqueting team at the Savoy for, for really doing that. Because here I am, you know, six months, seven months, eight months on a podcast talking to an audience about how special I felt at the time at the at the Savoy. So when I read about how, you know, 25 percent of 16 to 24 year olds don't drink. And I think one of the, you know, then then it says to me that the trend, this trend is not going to go away, certainly not in the short term. And I think the more of us, we realize how much it affects our health and how much it affects and, and consequently how much our collective health affects the resources on the NHS, then I think that that it's it's very difficult to make the case for 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 ignoring this trend. I will put the link in the show notes because I do believe that if you're an operator today and you don't have anything on your menu other than a couple of mocktails which are sugar-based, then I think you are leaving money on the table. And I'll give you an example. I was at I was out for a meal recently and it was a a, a well-known, very nice restaurant in Mayfair, you know, expensive, no question. And I sat down and, you know, the, the, the meal itself for, for three of us was coming to, you know, I don't know, 400 pounds. And I said, do you have any, anything non-alcoholic? And they literally just had a couple of mocktails, which were very sweet. 
And I said, no, that's fine. I'll just have um, mineral water. So I just had mineral water. So they probably got two bottles of mineral water, which I don't know, four pounds, 60, five pounds, 50, whatever per bottle. Okay, great. Had they had, let's say, Bex Blue, had they had something which was a grown-up kind of um, non-alcoholic spirit, for example, with a, with a, a really good tonic water um, with lots of um, um, flavors in it, I would have easily spent £30, £40, £50, £60. I, it, to me, it wasn't about the money. I just wanted to enjoy myself and have something to drink that was not going to be sugar-based or was not going to be a soft drink like a 7-Up or it wasn't going to be, uh, you know, a juice. I just, I'm just not interested in those. So I think that there needs to be uh, some thought put into it by operators and the margins are amazing if you get it right. So why not? And, and I think, you know, let's ask ourselves, the question why are young people uh, you know millennials whatever the term is these days why are they not drinking well social media they don't want to look like idiots on social media they're everything they do is being watched and as a result um, they just don't want to make a fool of themselves on a platform that that you know they know that that can be shared among their peers and and it's it's just not going to do them any favors and I, and my, that's the experience i've gained from from watching how my daughter has grown up in the world of social media and i have to say she is has been very moderate in in any in in taking whatever steps she has taken into the world of of drinking unlike um, many of us back in the day stories came up just recently um, about the latest 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 trends that young people millennials are using to share and to communicate uh, with their devices with each other and interestingly the one I've got open here which was in the Atlantic.com which is obviously an American uh, uh, publication and it says the hottest chat app for teens is Google Docs and uh, what they're saying is that um, the, you know, the writing tool has now become a new default way to pass notes in the class. So what they basically have is, in, especially in the schools in America, is they all have their um, laptops, very often Chromebooks. Um, and then the educators are using Google Docs to do their collaborative exercises um help them follow their lesson plan and what you then find is that um they then use their google docs to chat just about any time they need to uh, when they're told to put their phone away so let me have a look here uh, they'll take advantage of the fact that google allows users to highlight certain phrases or words then comment on them via the pop-up box on the right hand side so they'll clone a teacher's uh, shared google document then chat in the comments so it appears to the casual viewer that they're just making notes on the lesson plan if a teacher approaches to take a closer look they can just click the resolve button and the entire thread will disappear so there you go so the little comments on on um, the little comments section on an article um, or on a document has become the chat zone and a little bit like snapchat where your you know messages disappear into the into the ether um, they, they just click undo and it disappears and the other uh, really interesting one now I've got to find the link for this but I will but um, 
is a little, if you have an iPhone, uh, one way that you can share files between um, iOS devices, so whether it's an iPad to an iPhone or an iPhone to an iMac or any of those things, is there's a, a, an element called AirDrop. Um, some of you might be familiar with it. And what happens is that um, when a group of young people now get together, let's say they're at a party or what have you, um, they actually so very often, for example, my phone will say Thomas's phone, Thomas's iPhone. So if you ever, ever look for a Wi-Fi network on a when you're sitting on a train, very often there'll be networks open or certainly networks available. You can't usually connect with them because they're they're closed or they need a password. But it'll say Andrew's iPhone or it'll say you know whatever the name of the person is. But what young kids are doing today is that they're giving their phone uh, a funny name or a, 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 a you know a silly name or they're giving it a string of letters and numbers where it's not so you don't know who it's from or whatever and then basically what they'll do is they'll take a meme which is a picture with some some words on it and then they will just send that via um, airdrop to these other phones and in this particular article I read it was a lady who was sitting on the on the underground and the next thing she just somewhere out of nowhere this are uh, this um, uh, meme arrived on her phone via um, um, airdrop and it turned out to be this group of kids who were sharing these things back and forth so I just find it quite incredible that um, the young people today are finding ways to communicate with each other that um, do manage to come in really really under the radar and are much more kind of micro communities they're they're not linked into hundreds and hundreds of people it's in fact literally the people in their vicinity that they're that they're chatting to and talking to so it's quite an amazing development for for social media when we when we look back and see how it how we all thought it was becoming a, a, a you know removing the, the the human interaction element um and these two developments uh very much involve that human interaction of being in the same room or working on the same document at the same time and then sharing notes back and forth in secret um another article that i just read uh so basically what it says is point of sales pos point of sales malware was found at 102 checkers restaurant locations so basically checkers is a chain of of restaurants in the u.s and basically you know and, and drive-through restaurants and they were attacked by point of sale malware impacting 15 percent of their stores across the uk so um, the security incident stemmed from cyber criminals breaching checkers systems and installing malware on point of sale systems across more than 100 of its stores the malware was designed to collect data stored on the magnetic strip um, of payment cards including cardholder name payment card number card verification code and expiration date and of course they are all the details you need in order to be able to make purchases um on the internet so uh really quite a scary idea that the very thing you share your your credit card details with is the thing that is um compromised and is sharing that with with the wider wider um internet uh if somebody wants to try and try and scrape that data from you so there we pretty much have it. We've been talking a little bit about podcasts as a medium. What do you think? Is it something that you will uh, bring into your business? Um, we're certainly thinking about very, very seriously thinking about launching a podcast for our company, um, Quantum Hospitality. So that's something that I'm, I'm just working with my business partner to, to figure out the right, the right 
tone and feel of it and, and what, what we're going to talk about and, and how that can benefit our business. So let's see. Watch this space. So it is something I'm very interested in. I'll share some uh, links in show notes of a couple of other podcasts that I'm really, really been enjoying recently, and I hope you enjoy them too. Um, we spoke about Jamie's Italian and uh, the rise of um, and demise, consequent demise of his of his chain. And, and interesting on that subject, private equity, Jeremy King uh, says it is no recipe for restaurant success. That was a, a phrase that was used in, a, in, a, in an ad for the FT where they, they have a focus on finance event coming up soon. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. And, and again, I had to kind of slightly roll my eyes when I saw an article come up that um, market halls is in line for a um, circa 20 million pound private equity investment and it kind of just says to me you know when are these private equity firms going to listen you know the minute you've got all this money sloshing around people are going to make mistakes they are not going to make decisions as if it is the last pound in the till they are going to make decisions uh, based on um, accelerated growth and growing in areas where it may not be sustainable or they may take on sites where they're paying too much rent or they take on sites paying rent where they haven't considered the impact of the, the rates or whatever it's going to be or they take on sites where actually the business model is that it's weekend only business and it can't survive and as a result of all this funding that comes in yeah it's fabulous it's great but the minute that the band stops playing uh, and the lights come up, everyone realizes that the the makeup was never looking as hot as it was when we were when we left the house. It, it's just I just worry about businesses where they have huge investment too quickly, and before you know it, the whole house of cards comes down. So you know, while I appreciate that there are some very clever people involved, makes me wonder, you know, uh, where will it all end? So with that in mind, uh, today. British uh, National Fish and Chip Day. So I'm going to get myself sorted out with some nice fish and chips and maybe a cheeky alcohol-free beer. In the meantime, um, this has been Kitchen Sink. I'm Thomas Kilroy. And until the next time, whatever you do, make it productive and fulfilling. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.